G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story One of the things that we saw change was the very fact that people started to bring us things instead of wanting to take from us all the time. I remember one guy very specifically, um, a few weeks after he professed that he'd um, trusted Christ, he brought us a basket and it had fruit in it. And the first thing I said to him was, how much do you want for it? And he said, no, he said, this is for you. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, once again, we're learning about the Higaonan tribal people in the Philippines who had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions. And as we heard last time, they lived in fear of the spirit world and at any time anything bad happened, they felt they had to make an animal sacrifice in order to appease the gods. And then one day, the village witch doctor had a dream that white men would come with a book. That's when Australian missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings entered into the picture. They're sharing how the Lord used them along with other missionaries to help set the Higaonan people free. They're chatting with Eric Scatterbo. There was about 60 people in the beginning in the initial group and then there were other groups of people that went through the teaching at a later later stage. At, at present, most of the people in our village where we live, is about 300, most of them are professing Christians. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, what, what happened was that because in their system they can only do their spirit worship if the, if the witch doctors and tribal elders are in place to do all the sacrifices and stuff. So when those people in the beginning, probably about 20% of the people in the area who re- actually rejected the gospel, um, they moved out to other places because the, most of the spirit men in our village who could do that kind of thing were converted to Christianity, so hmm. there was no one to do it for them, so they had to leave. They left and went to live in other villages across the tribe. Now, looking back at their animistic beliefs, you mentioned earlier that there was actually something to what they believed. Do you think this was demonic spirits, or what do you think was really going on? Oh, absolutely, because one of the things that they said, just, I think it was um, Lesson 5, in our teaching program deals with what the Bible teaches us about where spirits come from. The fact that um, spirits are were originally good spirits who turned against God and, and um, they're now demonic spirits under Satan's control that live, live in the, the realm of the earth. Um, and one of the things that the people, as we taught the people what the Bible said about, says about spirits... Um, their nature and character, the fact that Satan is the father of lies. After that lesson, the old people came to me and they said, you know, that's who we worship. Hmm. They recognized it on their own. They said, because that's the major characteristic of the spirits we worship is that they continually lie to us. Hmm. And so they recognized it on that basis. And um, you know, we, we look at the way that that works in their tribal culture. It's just very obvious to see how whenever there's a sickness or whenever something happens, it's not hard to see how Satan manipulates their thinking into associating that with the spirit realm because there's things that are going on at the same time that the spirits will do to convince them, hey, this this happened because 
you went by this particular rock or you went by this spirit tree or something happened here and it's just not too hard to see that their minds are being manipulated into connecting the things that happen in their lives to what the spirits are telling them. And then we also saw times when it seemed to us that people were actually being made sick by some spirit force or something to to generate their belief system. So at the end of the day, they were in bondage to the devil. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do they talk about a before and after? I mean, obviously, they must have had tremendous relief that like a veil had been lifted off and now they could see, how do they refer to the before and after and, and their transformation? Um, oh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, they still they still talk about it all the time, and they talk about the, the bondage that they were under and the how unhappy they were. You know, their lives were so miserable because of all the things that they would do, and it didn't do them any good. They still were sick and dying and... and uh, so terribly oppressed for us we we were there in the in the village area for those two years the only way i can describe it it was like it was like a pressure and you could feel the oppression in the place and when the gospel went out when these people turned to christ it was like we were in a bottle and it was like god popped the cork off Hmm. and all the pressure left it was really amazing it was just the most incredible couple of weeks that I've ever had in my whole life just to see these people set free. Now, Michelle, what was your reaction to this time when this whole group of people put their faith in Jesus Christ? Um, I think I just was in awe of the power of God because I think it's just amazed us and helped us to see what God is able to do in a person's life. Um, When we're home on furlough and specifically this time, a number of people ask us, have you ever seen God work miracles? And I think the biggest miracle that we could say we've seen is animistic people who are so bound up in uh, their way of life and their spirit worship, their fear, to see them come to Christ is, to me, is the most wonderful miracle there could be. Mm. And I think it was just just wonderful to see these people uh, as we we prayed for them through those couple of years and uh, just asking the Lord to open their eyes to the truth and then seeing these people come. And what they would do, they would come to our house um, after the meeting and just share with us how that they believed what they'd, they'd heard and uh, just the very testimony and the things they said and the way they were to us was evidence that it was true. And what are some of the practical ways that things changed? Um, I think towards us, one of the things that we saw change was the very fact that people started to bring us things instead of wanting to take from us all the time. I remember one guy, very specifically, um, a few weeks after he professed that he'd um, trusted Christ, (coughs) He brought us a basket and it had fruit in it. And uh, usually when anybody came to our door with fruit or vegetables or anything, it's always been to sell. And this fellow, Monsing, he came with this basket, I think had bananas, pineapple. And the first thing I said to him was, how much do you want for it? And he said, no, he said, this is for you. Hmm. He said, "Uh, 
I just believe that, you you know, realizing who God is and uh, what he's done for me, I just want to give you this. And uh, we saw that happen. We saw people wanting to share with us. Um, the amazing thing was, as we would go around and talk to the people, they would just, as we would go from house to house, they were just talking about the Lord and rejoicing about what God had done for them. And I guess being people that were very, um, I guess you could say spiritually minded before, because they, mm. not like in the Western world, I guess we we're not in, don't really live in much of a spiritual realm where mm-hmm. these people did. The reality of God, who he was, and what Christ had done for them was just so real, uh, something which I don't think we've really experienced as much in the Western society. So that was just really amazing to see that and the desire to want to know more. Wow. Ryan, any things come to your mind as far as how things changed after that? I think the whole the whole conversation of the village turned from fear of the spirits to rejoicing in what God had done for them. I think that was an incredible thing. They'd stay up all night. They'd have these meetings where they just sit up all night and talk about stuff and just talk about all the things that they have been set free from that were so many, hmm. so absolutely huge. The, the the things that they've been set free from, the tangible things in their everyday lives that they were no longer under bondage to, and to realize that it had all been done for them. I mean, it was just amazing. Wow. Fantastic. So now, what was next? You were missionaries. You came in. You shared about Jesus Christ. They believed in Jesus Christ. Now what's next? Um, well, to continue teaching them from, from God's Word, we, we actually went back to because we only got as far as teaching the law and then we had to jump right over and share the gospel with them because they demanded it of mm-hmm. us. So we went back to where we left off and taught them through the other things that we had in our teaching program to teach them, things that would lay a foundation for further teaching later on, you know, the birth of Christ and his life and miracles and things like this. And so we went back and finished that teaching and... Um, from then on, we continued to teach them more and more through the Word of God and through the New Testament. Um, as we did, the Lord began to raise up an interest amongst some of the young men to be involved in in sharing the gospel. One of their uh, immediate um, responses to the gospel was to want to share it with others. And wow. um, I think within um, 18 months of the gospel going out, we had a guy who really wanted to take the gospel out to other villages. That was Monsing, his name was. Mm-hmm. And um, he took the gospel out and he planted a church about two days' hike away from our village. Wow. And it was right. And he, Monsing was a, uh, a person who just really threw himself into anything that he did and he just really uh, got behind that and he just went to this other area. Eventually he was killed uh, by some people who didn't like what he was doing in the areas, people that were opposed to the gospel, and they killed him. So he was martyred for his faith. Hmm. But there's a really uh, quite a large, thriving church in that area today. To this day? To this day, yeah. So this was not just something in your village and in, in this next village where it was just a passing thing and then the phase went by the wayside. You're saying that several years later, this church is still growing? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's I think there's more there's more believers there than there is in our village. Really? Today, yeah. And there's about I forget the exact figures, um I think we're looking at about twelve or thirteen churches that have been planted across the tribe by 
uh, tribal Higon and tribal people who've gone out from our village uh, with their families located in these other areas and taken up a teaching ministry amongst the people. Wow. Now let's uh, talk about your co-workers. You were the first ones in there, your family. Then what happened? And then in 1983, Lance and Laura Ostman uh, joined the work. They're from the States. They had two children, uh, Robert and Nicole. And then in 87, Bill and Carol Hart and their family joined the work. Um, they're from Canada. And they, I think they started out a few years prior to that, arriving in the Philippines with four children. And by the time they finished, they had eight children, actually. And uh, so they also came and... Uh, into the village to work with us. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings about how the Lord used them, along with other missionaries, to help set the Higa'onan tribal people free. We'll hear more of the story of the Higa'onan's amazing transformation and from the Jennings' daughter when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. You're listening to The Story. Today, missionaries Ron and Michelle Jennings are once again sharing about how the Lord used them, along with other missionaries, to help set the Higa'onan tribal people free, deep in the jungle in the Philippines. Next, we'll hear more about the Higa'onan's amazing transformation, and the Jennings' daughter, Steph, will share what it was like growing up in the jungle. Now, you mentioned earlier that you were teaching were you also trying to write a New Testament or a Bible? Yeah, about um, oh, about 1986, somewhere around there, we realized that we had to, because we'd been translating verses and things to go with our teaching program, um, we realized we had to get serious about actually finishing whole books and then eventually the New Testament. So um, we did begin work on that around about that time. And so we've been not only translating the New Testament, but also all the teaching materials, lessons and stuff that we've been producing. We've had to produce that for the tribal people because they've been so fervent in going out with the gospel. We've had lots of men that needed to be taught, needed to be provided with teaching materials for their ministry. So we've, that's been our main focus, has, has been translation of the New Testament, uh, Old Testament books and the teaching materials for them. They're, they're pretty much self-sufficient. They they do their own outreaches. They've got their own leadership. They have their own meetings. They have their own um, seminars two or three times a year. They have these seminars where, or conferences, not sure what what you call them, but all the, the men, the families that have gone out to other places with the gospel and have been planting churches, they come back into our village. They bring their trainees with them, people that they're training out there, and they have a conference time together. Wow, that's um, fantastic. Usually during that time, if there's, a, if there's a new teaching materials that I've finished, I'll teach that to them during that time. And then we'll try and get copies into their hands so that they can take that back to their outreaches. Now, the fact that they're self-sufficient, was that in view from the very beginning? Was that your goal when you first started the work that 
this wasn't all going to be about you, but you were going to step aside and have them be self-sufficient? Yes, pretty much. That pretty much was in our, in our thinking. Um, one of the things that happened pretty early on, I'll just share this, was that um, when we were explaining to them time frame, because they, they come from a, uh, a worldview that is very different to the real worldview outside, and so we would teach them, you know, the time frame of the Bible and the time frame of when things happened. And one of the first things that they said to me, they said, if Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and you tell us it only takes you nine hours to travel here on an aeroplane from Australia, why has it taken so long for the gospel to get here? Hmm. And they were very serious about that. That was a very serious thing. And all I could think to say to them was that what the Lord put in my heart to say, and that was that, well, I don't know. I can't answer that. All I know is that when I realized there were people without the gospel, I gave my life to... We gave our lives to come and, and share it. And if you think that that was a mistake, if you feel that that was a mistake, that it took so long to do that, then maybe you should consider that you shouldn't make the same mistake. And they took mm. that up and they ran with it. Wow. And, and they've never looked back. And they are sharing their faith they with They are sharing their faith, yeah. There pretty much isn't at this time, there pretty much isn't anywhere in the Higon and Tribe where the gospel isn't accessible by the rest of the people in that tribe there are areas where it hasn't gone into because those areas are still closed but they're not very far away from a church where the gospel is available wow that's fantastic mm -hmm. now michelle at the beginning of our conversation you said that originally your plan was to come to australia to be rich or make money and mm -hmm. find fulfillment but your path went a different direction that you didn't envision mm -hmm. looking back are you fulfilled but in a different way oh very much so yes i can't um because it's been so long now we've been in the philippines for 25 years i guess as i look back on it i can't imagine being anywhere else but i do sometimes just ponder and think about it and wonder um in amazement really of what we were like prior to being converted and where the lord has us today and um, all I can say is just thank you, Lord, that we are where we are now than where we might have been. Because I think if we'd have continued on uh, the way we were, and, you know, you can't live in a in, in a what-if kind of situation, but I've often wondered what if we didn't do this. But I don't think we'd be together today. We'd probably be divorced. Hmm. And um, mainly because of the way things were going in our relationship prior to being converted. So... Um, yeah, as I look back and see where we are today, all I can do is just just thank the Lord and uh, give Him the glory for what He's done in our lives and um, just really humbly thank Him for, you know, bringing us to where He has. Thank you so much for sharing. Michelle and Ron Jennings, ministering to the Higonan people in the Philippines. Thanks so much for sharing today. Thank you. Thank Mom and Dad always, you know, taught us, made it clear to us what they were doing in the tribe. Um, you know, they 
made a real effort and made a real commitment to teach us girls um, about Jesus, about God, and, you know, had regular Bible studies with us and, you know, explained to us the importance of what they were doing in the Philippines. Um, so, you know, it was never anything weird. It was always, you know, this is where God wanted them, um, what He had for them, um, and we were a part of that. So, coming on furloughs was probably more weird than being in the tribe because um, mm. all our friends were in the tribe and, you know, after being on furlough for a year, we were ready to get back home. Really? So, yeah. Anxious to get back into the jungle. To our friends, yes. What did you like about growing up in the jungle? Oh, gosh, everything. Um, really? <laughs> well, looking back on it now, you appreciate it a lot more. Um, homeschooling was really cool because we basically finished by lunchtime and our coworkers were homeschooling their kids as well. So, you know, after lunch, we'd get to spend all our time with them. Oh, yeah, we had a river right by our house, so we'd spend the good part of our afternoon in that. Um, hiking, going to trial people's villages, um, and just doing heaps of cool stuff that you'd never do here. Um, we didn't have a TV, didn't miss it, didn't need it. But you don't feel deprived? Um, no, didn't. I look back on it, and I would love how I, my children to grow up the way I grew up. Really? Um, yeah, it was just, uh, we had so much fun. Um, just being able to have my parents there. My parents there all the time. If we needed them, dad's office was just downstairs. You know, if we needed to talk, he was there. So, yeah, we loved everything. Friday night, spend, you know, spend the night at our friend's place. You know, stay up till midnight making pool taffy and going swimming at three o'clock in the morning, you know, or, you know, it was just really fun. It was just good stuff that we were able to do. And we were, you know, pretty free to just do that and not really have too many restrictions on things that people do now or mm -hmm. things that I've seen um, in friends that I've made here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just had a really cool free upbringing. So. so you're a close family? Very close. Now, a lot of people would think growing up in the jungle, that's dangerous. You have snakes and all these kind of things. What would you say to somebody who has that type of thought? Well, I hated the snakes too. Um, <laughs> but... It's funny because I've got three little kids now and I just look at some of the things that they did and think of the things that I used to do and think, my goodness, you know, I'd freak <laughs> out if they did that. But you know what? I never broke a bone. Me and my sisters never, you know, climb the trees, jump off really high rocks and trees into rivers and we never hurt ourselves. You mm. know, the Lord was always protecting us and yeah, there's a lot of scary stuff out there, um, but we never never got hurt you know it's not this scary place that people think it is you know interesting now of course we heard about how your parents were obedient to the lord and <coughs> followed the lord's leading into missions would you ever consider <coughs> getting involved in full-time ministry yes um i suppose growing up in it and loving it seeing the effect that it had on the trial people um to this day you know you go walk into a friend's house and all they talk about is the lord you know, and how their, you know, their life has changed and their future is looking towards, you know, every time we leave the tribe or need to say goodbye, it's always, I can't wait to see you in heaven. Or, mm. you know, this is where we're going to finally be together and we'll never have to make these goodbyes again. Um, so just seeing the effect. And like dad said, um, and mom, we're talking about, you know, unless people go, they're not going to be able to hear. I've always felt the Lord's, you know, hasn't just got me here. Um, that he's got something else for me. Mission's always been on my mind because that's where I grew up. Um, and Ben's similar too. 
Your husband? My husband. Um, So, yeah, we're at Bible College now. That was the Jennings' daughter, Steph, and before that, her parents, Ron and Michelle Jennings, sharing about the amazing transformation of the Higaonan tribal people in the Philippines. They had lived for centuries enslaved to superstitions and in fear of the spirit world when the Lord used Ron and Michelle, along with other missionaries, to help set them free. What an incredible story. And a reminder that God uses everyday people to do remarkable things. And before we go, we want to let you know that the ministry that Ron and Michelle are serving with has changed its name since the interview was recorded. New Tribe's mission is now known as Ethnos 360. To learn more about their work with the tribal people groups around the world, their website is ethnos360, E-T-H-N-O-S 360.org. That's ethnos360.org. Well, thanks for joining us for part two of Ron and Michelle and the Higaonan story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Yeah, God is good. Like, even when you have no idea what's going on, He just pulls you out of that dark place. He breathes life. He speaks life. He'll use whoever He needs to, to get that creative word to happen. None of it's an accident. I'm grateful to what that meant. Well, my baby and I. Due to family circumstances, Natalie Wood's early life involved rejection and rebellion. Later, she found herself pregnant and experienced an eclamptic fit during childbirth. She died once herself, and her special needs son died numerous times during childbirth. She'll share her story and how she's now found forgiveness and faith next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.